You ever look back on certain events and now, sometime later, realize that in the moment you failed to recognize all that was going on. You really, you really failed to recognize the significance of all that was happening. You can see it now as you think back. It's very plain to you now. But in the moment, you miss the, the real significance of what was going on. I remember a year before my dad died, the Christmas Eve service. It was at the Wilbarger Auditorium. It was a cold night. I like a cold night on Christmas Eve. I remember that day very well. Sarah and I filled up the Lord's Supper cups, 1,400 little Lord's Supper cups. We filled up and we prayed for those folks that would, that would receive those and had a great afternoon. I remember the evening of that service. My dad always loved uh, the Christmas Eve service. And he'd, he'd been sick for some time. And he came that evening, and I can still remember everybody there, and their families are there, and people are coming in. And, and he was saying hello to everybody and greeting everybody. And he was very glad to be there that night. Pam uh, sang his favorite Christmas song, my favorite Christmas song as well. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. And we had, a, we had an awesome service, had a, a very meaningful Lord's Supper, uh, had a packed house, a great service that evening. When it was over, we went to my house. We wrapped everything up and locked up and went to my house. And I can still remember we had brisket and, and potatoes and homemade rolls and all the stuff that goes with that. Had an awesome supper that evening, and we were, we were talking and we were laughing. Uh, remember my dad said, man, Pam can sing, can't she? My brother and Jennifer were there. My sister was there. All of the grandkids were there. And we ate and we talked and we laughed. Uh, before we went home that evening, he had presents uh, for each of the grandkids. And for each of his grandsons, he had a pocket knife that he gave them. For each of his granddaughters, for Emily and for Sarah, he had a necklace that he gave them. We had a great night, uh, had a ball that night. We did not realize that would be his last Christmas Eve service. That would be our last Christmas Eve supper that next year he was in the hospital uh, Twelve days after that, he would pass away. But we didn't know really the, the significance of it all. And I, I wonder if we knew that that would be the last of it. If we knew that that would be the, the last one that he would enjoy with us, I wonder if we would have done anything different. I wonder if we would have said anything different. Or maybe it was just as tremendous with us not knowing. Sometimes as we pass through certain circumstances, we fail to realize the significance of all that's going on. Well, today as we move forward through the account of Jesus' last days, we come to the account of his last Passover celebration and his institution of the Lord's Supper. Now, that's a very profound thing. That's a, a tremendous thing. His last observance of the Passover and all that that means, and then his institution for the church of the Lord's Supper. It is a crazy, meaningful time, so much significance to each part of it. But as we look at it today, I wonder if the disciples ever looked back to the memory of that night. Did they, did they ever think back and hear the words of that night? Could they hear the significance sometime later down the road of each of those words? And I wonder what they remember about that night. Today our message is entitled, Something Greater. Something Greater. We're in Luke chapter 22, a bunch of verses today, verses 7 
through 22. Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 22. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence and really the, the celebration of the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 22, beginning in the seventh verse. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. They said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today. I'm thankful for your truth. Thankful for your word today. I, I pray that as we have gathered now that, that you would speak to us, that you would lead us through your word, that you would direct us through your word, that we would see you more clearly through your word today. I pray that you'd be known, that you'd be worshiped in the study and the preaching of your word. Lord, I'm thankful for our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful that you're coming from your home on high, that, that there'll be a day when we'll see you in glory. And on that day, we'll worship for all eternity. I'm thankful for that promise. Lord, I pray now for this church that you bless it, that you use it, that you lead it, that your hand would be upon it. I pray that we'd be faithful to the cause of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'd be known and glorified. Lord, we love you, we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we move through the events of these last three chapters, the, the, the events of his death, the, the burial, res, burial and the resurrection of Jesus. I, I will tell you, it is very amazing to see all that is going on. It is amazing as we move through these chapters to see all of the different pieces, all these meaningful pieces, all these purposeful pieces as they began to fit together, as they began to assemble together. So let me tell you, my, my prayer again is that we will be greatly impacted as we move through these verses. 
Verses that we may have heard a thousand times, a multitude of times. My prayer is that as we move through these events, God would open our eyes. More than that, that he would open our hearts and we will be greatly impacted as we see the profoundness of these events. See today the context. This is the account, the actual historical account of the day before leading into the day that Jesus was killed. Now, I think you need to let that color this event for you. Understand, this this is the actual account of the day before leading into the day that Jesus was killed. These are the actual goings on. These are the actual words that are spoken. This is the afternoon before he's killed. This is the night that he's betrayed by one of his own, one that was numbered with the 12. This is the night that would result in the trial and the false accusations and the mocking and the beatings. This is the night that he will suffer abandonment, that he will see the abandonment even of those that he loved. And this night starts with a meal. A profound, significant Sweet meal with his 12 disciples. Now, there is a lot to see. There's a lot to take in. But today, I want us to see this entire event wasn't so much about this event as it was something greater. And so that's the lens that I want us to see this through. This event that we're reading about, it's a historical account of what actually happened, but it isn't so much about this event as it is something greater. And so I want us to, to look at our verses through that lens this morning. The first thing we see this morning is this. It was pointing to something greater. It was pointing to something greater. Let's look at the verses beginning in verse seven. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. The feast of the unleavened bread was a seven-day observation. Uh, They would remove all of the yeast from their house. Uh, It it marked the, the, the existence of sin, and so they would remove all of the yeast from their house And it was an act of remembering God's deliverance as they left Egypt in a hurry. Remember the account? After the last plague, uh, they did not have time to wait for the bread to rise. And so they were instructed, take your unleavened bread and to leave quickly, to leave hurriedly. Well, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was, was really a remembrance of that. It was a celebration of God's deliverance in that event. It followed the Passover feast. Now, that was a one-day feast. Uh, Together, they would be eight days long. Sometimes the entire week would be called the Passover week, but the, the unleavened bread followed the Passover feast. It was a meal that commemorated the Passover lamb. Remember the blood that was smeared over the door. And, and the, Passover, the, the death angel would pass over and they would be delivered. And so this event also celebrated God's deliverance for his people, God's deliverance from their captivity in Egypt. And so that's the week of these two events. Verse 7 again. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Verse 8. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, 
Go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. Verse 9. They said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? Now be sure and understand this. Many, many people, thousands of people traveled to Jerusalem for this event, to celebrate, to mark, to observe this event. So understand, all of the houses would have been full. All the, all the houses would have had their, their, their friends and their, their relatives have come to visit. All of the inns would have been full. And so the, the natural question is, so where would we do this? You say, go into the city and prepare a place. Where would we do this? That's the question of verse 9. Verse 10. And he said to them, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. Most likely this was a servant man. He's carrying the water. When you see this man and he's carrying this pitcher of water, get in with him and follow him into the house which he enters. Verse 11. And you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Now the master of the house to him you ask, where is the guest room where we shall eat the Passover? Verse 12. And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. That's where they're going to do it. Verse 13. And they left and found everything just as he had told them. And they left and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, I want you to see this in this account. They go, Peter and John, they go, and God has taken care of all of the details. Now, there's a lot of foreshadowing that's going on here. Be sure and see that. They go, and even the smallest detail, God has taken care of. The time, the exact time, you'll find a man walking with a pitcher of water. The exact time, you'll find that man. Get in behind him. The place, not determined by man, determined by God. The, the place, follow him into the house in which he comes from. The provisions, all of the provisions are gonna be there in a furnished upper room. They were all provided. They go to observe this Passover and all of the details God has taken care of. See the foreshadowing here. As the Passover lamb Jesus prepares to enter into his Passover event, his blood covering over sin, every detail is taken care of by God. Now that's pretty interesting. They go, the details are set, the time is set. The room is set. The provision is made. That's, that's pretty awesome. Really, that's, that's pretty mind-blowing. It was as he said it would be. That's, that's pretty awesome. But it's not the biggest thing. The biggest thing is this. This wasn't really about this. This really wasn't really about the Passover. This really wasn't even about Egypt and God's deliverance there. They were remembering that. They were celebrating that. But it was all, listen, all of it, all of it, 
all of it was pointing to something greater. Listen, the greatest thing that's going on here is not remembering those things. It's not celebrating these things. All of these things are pointing to something greater. To prepare, they would go, they would secure the bitter herbs for the meal. They would secure and have the unleavened bread for the meal. They would make sure they had wine and enough wine for the meal. And then at noon on this day, the head of the family, the representative of the family, would take the lamb. They had secured the lamb two days earlier. They would, they would take the lamb and they would make their way to the temple. This wasn't done at home. They would make their way to the temple. Now, can you imagine that? The, the streets are full of, of men and, and they go and they travel with their lambs and a, another gate opens and a lamb comes out and another gate opens and another doorway opens and the, the street begins to fill and there are these men and they're leading their lambs and they're making their way to the temple. And as you start at the edges of the city and as you work your way closer and closer to the temple mount, there's more people and more men and there's more lambs and they're making their way to the temple. At three o'clock, let's see the foreshadowing here. At three o'clock, a Levite would blast a, a ram's horn and it would sound out. They're making their way and they're pouring in and they're coming for this event. And at three o'clock, he would stand up and he would lift up a ram's horn and he would, he would blast out this sound. And upon the sounding of the horn, the gate to the temple would be shut. See the symbolism there. The gate, the great gate to the temple is shut. At that point, each person would take the lamb, their lamb, and they would kill it. Now, can you imagine that scene? The, the courtyard is full. They're, they're filled up there. There's people everywhere, and they would, they would kill their lamb, and they would kill their lamb, and you could hear a lamb bleed out, and then another lamb would die, and, and this massive scene. They would skin their lamb, and they would drain its blood into a large basin built for this purpose. The priests that were working would take a hyssop branch, and they would dip it into that blood, and they would sprinkle it on the bottom of the altar. Another lamb and another lamb and another lamb and blood is in the basin and it fills up and, and they dip it and they sprinkle it on the altar and they sprinkle it on the altar. It signified the atonement for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so it signified the atonement for sin. And so another lamb and another lamb and they're, they're shaking the blood on the bottom of the altar. And the altar literally begins to run with blood. It begins to run off the altar. The altar literally begins to be covered in blood. And those, those priests are stained with the blood. And the ground is stained with the blood. And another lamb and another lamb. And they shake it on the altar. And then that person would take that lamb, the lamb that they had slain, the lamb whose blood had been shed there and sprinkled on the altar for the remission, signifying the remission of sin. They would take that lamb and they would walk the streets back to their house. They would walk into the entryway of their house and they would take that lamb and they would roast it for the Passover supper, the Passover meal. I thought it was very significant. The first act of the Passover meal, 
the very first act of the Passover supper would be to light a lamp and to place it on the table signifying the end of the work. It has been done. It is finished. The work is over. See this today. Understand this today. This Passover supper, yes, it was God's institution. Yes, it was God's instruction for his people. Yes, it was God's call for his people. But understand, this was, this was always to remember his deliverance. It was always to remember this lamb and his blood that was given for sin. It was always that they might see their dependence upon God. And year after year after year, generation after generation after generation, they would be remembered reminded of this lamb. They would be reminded of God's deliverance in the past. They would be reminded of their dependence upon God. And it was a great thing. It was an awesome thing. And as they walked through these steps, as they lit the lamp, they were reminded their only hope was in God. And it was a great thing. But it always pointed to something greater. You see, very shortly, a lamb would be slain and the altar again would run with blood and sin would have its covering and very shortly the work would be finished and God himself would be the provision. God himself would be the deliverer. But this time, listen, oh, this time, it's not gonna happen again. This time, it was the final time and fully and finally and forever it is perfected in the perfect lamb of God and it always pointed to something greater. So the first thing we see is it pointed to something greater. This event really wasn't about itself. It always pointed to something greater. Second thing we see in this event is the promise of something greater. This is very awesome. The promise of something greater. In this event, we see the promise. They saw the promise of something greater. Let's look at our verses again, verse 14. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. When it was ready, there was really no set hour. It could have been several different times, but when it was ready, when the Passover meal was ready, it says he reclined. It literally translates, he sat back, sitting back. He sat back. He reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Now see the scene here. Everything is ready. He's ready for this Passover meal. They've done everything they're supposed to do and they've all assembled. And Jesus comes and he sits back at the table and all of the apostles are there. This last supper. They'll never be able to go back to this supper. They'll never be able to be the same after this supper. Everything's gonna change after this supper. But for now, at this time, they're all here and they're all in fellowship. And Jesus leans back as they start the supper. Verse 15. And he said to them, very deep verse, listen. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before 
I suffered. Earnestly desired literally translates in the original language, I have desired desiring. In my desire, there is more desire. I have desired desiring. He is saying his heart's desire is to eat this Passover, this specific Passover with you, these specific men. My, my desire, the desire of my heart has been to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Talking about the events of the cross. Before I suffer, before the cross, before the scourging, before the nails, before that event, my heart's desire, the desire of my desire has been to eat this meal with you. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Why? Verse 16. For I say to you, why? For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. It is the Passover. I shall never eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 17. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. Now there were four cups that were passed around during the Passover meal, each one with a symbolic meaning. We're not sure which one, but during part of that time, he says, take this cup and share it with one another. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. Verse 18, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. Friends, do not miss this. The very first Passover event there in Egypt, that very first Passover event, it was awesome. It was awesome. It was unbelievable. It was tremendous. Really, it was all shaking. Can you imagine that event? It is all shaking. They, they took the blood of this lamb and they smeared it over their door and they went inside those houses and they shut the door and the death angel comes through the city and outside there's death and outside there's destruction. Outside there's the wrath of God. But inside, under the blood of this lamb, there is salvation, they're saved and it is an all-striking event. Can you imagine that? And, and as they're in the house and they're there and they're huddled together and the death angel goes by, it is a terrifying event. It is an awe-striking event. And they remembered that event. They remembered God's power in that event. They remembered God's deliverance in that event. But as awesome as it was, as awesome as it was, it is but a shadow. It is but a mere glimpse of the fulfillment. When with the cross of Calvary forever finished, with the work of the cross forever over, when Jesus Christ himself shall come 
and sin and darkness and evil and the devil will be cast, the Bible says, into a lake of fire. And behold, there is a new heaven and a new earth for the former things have passed away. And there's no more sorrow and there's no more sin and there's no more sickness and no more death, no more death. There's no more tears that'll ever be cried. And there is a new Jerusalem. And as it comes down in glory from heaven, we behold its splendor and we see the magnificence of its gates. And as we move through those gates, we see the lamb and he's seated on the throne and he's the radiant light of heaven. Oh, the splendor. And Jesus says, listen, be sure, be certain. I'll not eat this again because we're surely gonna eat that. And there is a better, greater thing coming. The promise of something greater. Can you imagine that event? Oh, there's something greater coming. Oh, not eat it here. Not again, not like this, no. There is something greater coming. I wonder how often when it was hard, when it was lonely, when their friends had all deserted, gone somewhere else, I wonder how often when they were beaten and when they were in prison, they would replay these words. I wonder how often at night when they would close their eyes and nobody's around and tears would fall from their face. I wonder how often they would hear their master's promise. I'll not eat and I'll not drink it again until I do it again. In the fulfillment of the kingdom, there's something greater. Let me, let me tell you something. I'm going to be very honest. Maybe you might say something similar. I have known that Jesus is coming again. I've known that. We grew up saying that. We, we, man, I would, we'd go to Oakland Union Baptist Church and we'd sing all the songs. I have known Jesus is coming. I've known that that day was coming and I was fine with it. Listen, I, I looked forward to that day as long as it was out there. See, I still have kids to raise. I still have some things to check off and I still have some things to do. And oh, I know Jesus is coming and praise the Lord that he's coming and I'm looking forward to it and I'm fine with it as long as it's out there. Let me tell you something today. I am ready for Jesus to come. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no more pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. Listen, I am ready to be with Jesus. So at this meal, as they're sitting there, not aware of all the significant things that are going on, he promises them something greater. Let me just tell you this. You want to see somebody act a fool, you come find me in glory. I'm going to act a fool in heaven. There's the promise of something greater. But at this same meal, there's something even heavier that's going to be reminded. There's the promise of something greater. But there's also a payment for something greater. There's a payment for something greater. Verse 19. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks... He broke it, I want to see the picture, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. Very profound here. Jesus observes the Last Supper, but now we see he is instituting the the Lord's Supper. For the Christian, for the Christian church, the Lord's Supper is being instituted. Jesus says here, and I want you to see this picture. Jesus is sitting at the table, and there he is with his disciples, and he picks up and he says, this bread, this bread represents my body, which is given for you. You can almost hear the words as they echo through the large upper room. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. In the same way, he takes the cup and he says, this cup represents my blood, the blood of the new covenant. I like to say the blood of the new promise The new promise, this is the blood of the new promise which is poured out for you. In hours, in hours, not days, they would see that same body, their leader, their Lord, their friend. In just hours, they would see that same body, the one that had just spoken, the one that held up the bread, they would see that hand. They would see that man, they would see him naked, bruised. They would see his body torn up and they would see him nailed to a cross. In hours, not days, in hours, they would see his blood as it dripped off of his head. They remember the cup, but they see the thorns pushed into his head and the blood as it ran and dripped from his chin. They would see the blood as it ran down to his elbow and dripped onto the ground. They would see the altar again as it's covered in the blood of the lamb for the atonement of sin. In hours, not days, they would see his body and they would see his blood and they would remember the words, given for you, given for you a new promise. Folks, be sure. Our something greater came at a great cost. And it wasn't my cost. Sometimes I think, oh, I have a tough row. It wasn't my cost. It wasn't your cost. It wasn't our righteousness. It was, it was the cost of Jesus Christ, not mine. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Jesus paid the cost for something greater. My body, my blood, this you do in remembrance of me. There is something greater, but it came at the ultimate cost of our Savior. The last thing we see today, I think it's pretty interesting. The plan for something greater. The plan for something greater. See, this isn't just random. Well, there's something greater coming. We'll see how it pans out. Well, there's something greater coming. We hope it it takes shape. There was a plan for something greater. Now, it goes back to last week. It really goes back to the irony of last week. All of this is pointing to something greater. All of this is in the promise of something greater. All of it is part of the plan for something greater. Listen to verse 21. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Last week, we saw that Satan had a plan. 
Last week we saw the irony of that plan, but we saw last week that Satan had a plan. That plan included Judas Iscariot. Name him, name, give him a name, Judas Iscariot. He was numbered with the 12. He was one of Jesus' own. He was one of the 12. Satan had a plan, and at the opportune time, the plan would spring up, and the plan would spring into action. Satan had a plan. But listen, today we see Satan had a plan, but God also had a plan. And just like every detail of that meal was provided by God, just like that, it is provided in his plan. It was his plan. Again, every detail is taken care of. The time, the exact time, it wasn't determined by sinful man. The place, Golgotha, the altar set up, it was determined by God. The provision himself, the lamb is Jesus himself. He gives of himself. And where Satan had a plan, God also has a plan, but where Satan's plans failed, where Satan's plan fell short, God's plan is motivated in love. God's plan is written in wisdom. God's plan is carried out in power, and it comes to pass, and it's coming to pass. My salvation, your salvation stands. Praise God, there's something greater, and it came through the plan of God. I look at these verses today. We're we're just barely getting started. I look at these verses and I wonder, friends, are we seeing this? Friends, do you see this? Just like the details of the meal were set up, the details of our salvation are set up, just like the provision of the lamb is given, the provision of our lamb, Jesus. Are you seeing this? Are you seeing as it unfolds? The blood covers the bottom of the altar. Listen, the ground beneath the cross is covered in blood. The atonement of sin. Do you see it as it snaps together? Our response is this. Exalt Jesus. Exalt Jesus. He is that lamb. Exalt Jesus. Serve Jesus. Worship Jesus. Listen, as we sit here today, our response to just these verses is to exalt Jesus who carries out the plan, who pays for it himself, who promises us something greater. Exalt Jesus. If you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, listen, the proper response, the only fitting response is to say, oh, I'm a sinner, I'm tired of my sin, and I cry out for a Savior, Jesus, in the heartache of my sin. Come into my heart and save me. That's the only proper response for us who've been saved. Our only response is to say, you know what? The cares of this world are going to pass away. None of it's going to matter. Jesus, let me serve you. Let me glorify you. Our response is to exalt Jesus. Let's pray. Every Father, we come. And I'm thankful. But you trained your people to look for a Savior. I'm thankful that you had a plan to provide that Savior. I'm thankful that there's a payment made and it wasn't dependent upon us. We could never make it. We didn't have the currency, the exchange rate to make it, but you make it through Jesus. I'm thankful that in the fulfillment of that plan, we have eternal life. We have the forgiveness of sin. We have a risen and reigning Lamb, King Jesus. So I praise you today. Lord, I I pray two things. I pray for someone here that doesn't know you. I pray that they would today put their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I I pray that in the preaching of this word and the, the laying out of your word and the drawing of your spirit that today would be the day of their salvation. 
Lord, I pray that you remove any hindrance, any distraction. And today would be the day they put their faith in Christ. Lord, I pray for us as believers here today that we would grow in our love for you, that we would grow in our astonishment for you. And as that happens, we would turn our eye away from these things that distract us, these things that pale in comparison. We would be sold out to you and your cause. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask in this time of invitation that you would work, that you would move, that you would lead, that you'd be glorified. I pray all this in the powerful name of the Lamb, Jesus. His name I pray. Amen.